Week 29. What is the meaning of this? What does this mean? The whole trip was absolutely meaningless. Meaning, I want to talk about it today, relative to life and living. It's something I obviously am obsessed with. Uh, as I have been searching for the meaning of a well-lived life for decades. What is the value, the definition, the intrinsic purpose of human existence, of life itself? What gives human life meaning? I recently watched a clip of Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger, he's 79 years old, and he was on stage this past week in concert before tens of thousands of fans. And I mean, he was 79 years old, dancing and singing. He was sprinting across this long runway stage uh, like a teenager. It was really fascinating. And I'm sure after the concert, you know, uh, Mick, he probably jumped in a limo that whisked him away to some private uh, uh, jet or some five-star hotel. And I'm sure that he dined on super healthy, good, well-prepared food, you know, very expensive salmon or whatever it might be. And, uh, and then he probably dressed himself after the concert in clothes, uh, at least that were original and expensive or fit for a king. He probably called his wife or his children and uh, he probably communicated with people who were important to him. And when he woke up to the world the next day, it was, it's, at its, it's at his fingertips. You know, really, he, he's able to get whatever he wants taken care of and delivered to him. Caviar, uh, drugs. I don't think he uses drugs anymore. Uh, whatever it is, something that might make his life physically comfortable, uh, full, meaningful in the scheme of the world somebody like i don't mean to pick on him mick jagger uh he gets what he wants and people desire to live a life like that my mom passed away and left a subscription of people magazines and all their mail is forwarded to uh, me because i'm the executor of their estate and so these are these magazines are stacking up uh, in our bathroom and you know, you pick them up and you're reading them and you're looking through them and everything is perpetuating this ideal of what a meaningful life is. Every page, uh, they have a few crime sections, but every page, I, I really don't like them. I hate them, but they, they remind me of what's going on. Like uh, Anne Heche recently crashed and burned from a cocaine uh, induced uh, rampage in her car and she hit a unfortunately hit a house and it, it blew up and it lit her on fire apparently and and she died and on the cover of one of these people magazines it says a troubled but um, lasting life something like that was what she did and how she lived truly lasting and therefore meaningful. I mean, we live in an existence, and I, I, I talk about this because we're here. And as believers and, and, and as people, we're here and we're wondering, is it really, really meaningful 
to, you know, be thin and fit and successful and popular and artistic and wealthy like Mick, the father, several times over. I mean, Mick Jagger, he's lived a full life filled with material blessings. And looking around us at the world today, most of the younger generation, they, they see life as having meaning that is ensconced in a material application. And I don't mean necessarily abundance. It, it means a life that is centered on the ephemeral, though, on what is here and now and not so much of something that's spiritual. There are others who find great meaning in studies, academia, and uh, they find meaning in teaching children or, or, or serving the underprivileged. They find meaning in a daily walk around the park, right? And to many people, the greatest meaning is to have children of life, to have children and, and, to, and to travel the world. I've recently uh, been reading about the artist Enya and uh, who finds the most meaning for her existence in creating music, uh, living alone in a castle near Dublin, never marrying, never having children, devoting herself completely to her art. Um, so does Mick present us with the meaning of life? Does Enya, does, does Vincent van Gogh, Herman Hesse, Nietzsche, uh, Martha Stewart present to us the true meaning of life. Many people believe they do. Okay, that's my point in all this. And I would also suggest, however, that in the face of this, there's a very big difference between the meaningful life and a life that has been full. Meaningful versus full. The examples I've just talked about have certainly lived a full life, right? Travel and fame and money and whatever else. And I would suggest that there is a big difference, huge difference between having lived a meaningful life and having lived a full life right? And most people look to the full life and some people look to the more meaningful life. And this is without God, even in the equation. There are people who are not necessarily believers who will live a more meaningful life than a full life, so to speak. Now, they might translate the meaningful life to being full. I get that. But there is a difference. So, a truly meaningful life, in my estimation, uh, needs to be considered and seen differently from one that's full. That's the first place to start. Look at the life of Jesus. Uh, was it full? Well, I mean, he really didn't do much until his 30th year, and then he entered into ministry, and he had a few brief moments of it being full, where the masses followed him until they all turned from him. Um, but his life was not full compared to Mick Jagger. You know, you, you just hold up Jesus and you hold up Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger's life was full and is full. Jesus, by comparison, he didn't even have a place to rest his head, right? But in terms of meaning, Jesus, phew, forget about it, 
right? The, mean, the most meaningful life relative to everything considered, but mostly uh, relative to the eternal perspective. And so I say the full life can be defined more, not, you know, academically, but more as pertaining to here. A meaningful life pertains more to what is coming, to the lives of people beyond here and here too, and here too, right? So to me, a meaningful life must have application beyond the grave for those it it, it blesses and for those who live it, right? Jesus' life was so meaningful because what he did has application for people here and beyond the grave. So in other words, uh, for something to exist in e ephemera, which is something that's very short-lived, right, is, again, in my estimation, com by comparison, meaning less. It's meaning less. Does it contribute to a full life? Sure. Just give you a really quick example. There's a family that lives by the coast. And every 4th of July, they go down to the beach where there is a tremendous firework display. There are few things that represent ephemeral uh, ephemerality than fireworks. You know, they that's one. And they're gone. That's an ephemeral experience. Does it add to a full life as, as you sit back and look back when, hey, remember when the family would go down? Sure, it's great memories. And, and it, but the, the actual event itself disappears in terms of, of meaning forever. You know? you know, it just doesn't have that. What does a billion dollars mean to somebody who earned it and owned it when they take their last breath? They cannot spend it in heaven. They can't invest it. It doesn't do any, from what we know, it doesn't do, it does, has no benefit. It has no currency, no value. So Paul lends to the notion of the, uh, the meaninglessness of ephemerality relative to the eternal perspective when he says, and this is funny, he says this in the face of the Greeks, bodily exercise profits little. It says that, Paul says that, okay? Now, he's saying that to Greeks. Why? Because Greeks were always working out and, you know, the ones who are interested in the body and, and being fit and athletic games and Olympics and all that. But Paul says bodily exercise profits little. In our day and age, we know bodily exercise profits a lot. That it's good for the heart, it's good for the mind, it's good for the, the body. As you exercise, it does things. But... Paul is not talking about this life. When he says that, he's talking about the eternities. And in the end, he says it doesn't, doesn't, it profits little. He gives it some, but he says little, right? Certainly it profits here, but we have to read the scripture in context of what its purpose is, and it's always from an eternal perspective. And he says it profits little. Jesus speaks to meaning in a rather odd sort of way when he tells a story. Now, I call it a story because I don't think it's a parable. I think this is really, truly extracted from Jesus' own life and his friendship with a man named Lazarus. 
Why? Because in this story, he uses the personal pronoun name of Lazarus. He never names anybody in his parables. There was a man, there was a woman, there was a this, there was a that, there was a publican. But here he said, he names one of the characters Lazarus. And that was the brother of Mary and Martha and somebody who Jesus hung with. And I think he actually describes Lazarus here in this story. Listen carefully in Luke 16, what Jesus says. It's fascinating relative to the topic of meaning. There was a certain rich man, doesn't name him, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. That's it. That's what, he, that's what he says relative to the earthly existence of the rich man and Lazarus. And at this point, both lives could be considered full. The rich man's full of, of luxury and comfort and sumptuous living and Lazarus full of discomfort and pain. Suffering, hunger, famine, whatever you want to call it. That's, that's what he sets up in this story that he tells, Right? He goes on and he says, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. So we have, we have that being said, angels took Lazarus up into Abraham's bosom, which is synonymous with paradise before Jesus overcame sin and death and reconciled the world to the father. This was a, a garden state, place of comfort, Abraham's bosom. And he just says, and the rich man also died and was buried. He's still of the earth. His body is in the grave. And Jesus says, and he in hell, Sheol, the covered place, the place of gnashing of teeth, the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torment and he sees Abraham afar off. So we know that at this time, there's an ability to, for the people in the lower part to see what's going on in the paradise part. And Lazarus was in his bosom, meaning he was in his care. And the rich man cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Now, this is where we get the idea that when you go to hell, you're burning forever and ever. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, in the, and the rich man was screaming in pain and agony. So we have a lot of symbolic language here. Even though he says, I'm tormented in this flame, he's able to talk. He's able to converse. So it's very symbolic, right? Does Jesus say why the beggar went to paradise or why the rich man went to Sheol? He doesn't. He doesn't give us any insight on that. But in the next passage, he has Abraham 
say the following in response to the rich man's request. But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in your lifetime received thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And that's all we get. We don't get anything more. Do you know that? We don't have Jesus say, and Lazarus believed on me and said my name and asked me to be saved. You notice that Jesus doesn't say, and Lazarus had faith. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything except he makes a comparison. This person had comfort and luxury all the days of their life, and this person suffered. When they died, the roles were switched. Okay? And from that, we have to make some assumptions. And the first assumption we make is those who are first in this life will be last. And those who are last will be first. Just based on a just God and his trying to, and not trying to, and his meeting out justly what people deserve. That, I mean, it's just a fascinating thing. It, 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 we, we can just take from what Jesus says this simple principle. However, it's, I don't mean, I think it's meted out in pain, but I think it's meted out justly in reward. All he says that in his lifetime, you received good things and Lazarus received bad things and now Lazarus receives good things and you're in torments. What can we say by itself and well, without taking anything else into consideration? I would suggest that when both men died, uh, one man lived a meaningful life. The other man lived a life that was meaningless, truly. Meaningful when he was here, you know, meaningful in the material world, meaningless when he left. The way Lazarus lived played a role positively in his afterlife and the way the rich man lived played a role in his afterlife negatively. That's what we're learning here. To focus on the here and now from what Jesus says is to give nothing to what will come later. But to put your treasures in heaven is going to be rewarded as meaningful. And from this, I personally conclude the best definition of a meaningful life can be said to include at least the following. It includes suffering. It includes turning from the things that our flesh desires, fleshly mind, fleshly body, fleshly will, and suffering the will of God. It must include the two great commandments which when played out lead to suffering if you ignore them. If you ignore the two great commandment to love God and love neighbor as yourself, 
you will live indulgently. You will, you will live high on the hog. If you live by loving God and neighbor as self, you won't be able to do that in your conscience. You won't be able to acquire, 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 selfishly indulge, build up your stuff on uh, foundations of sand. The spirit won't allow you to do it. And finally, treasures, conditions on earth do not translate to treasures, conditions in heaven. And they are completely different locations and operate on completely different principles. As I watched Mick Jagger, not to pick on him, dance, I asked myself, I wonder what is the meaning of life to Mr. Jagger? What is the meaning of life to Jack Nicholson? The meaning of life to a pope, to a prophet, to a gardener, to a baker, to you. What's the meaning of life to you and to me? I had to look in the mirror. But then most importantly, what is the meaning of human life that God gives? What does Jesus, God with us, say the meaning is? So let's break this down before we wrap this up. For starters, I suggest that what a person does with their lifetime, making it full or choosing to keep it hollow or with a light touch on materiality is up to them. It's a personal choice we all make. And nobody has the right to tell anybody else how they ought to spend their time and talents in judgment. It's not part of my call to say Mick Jagger is inferior to me. I just have to operate by principles and let God decide what it all means. We don't know what the meaning of life is. We know he has a full life. But do we know what the meaning of life is to him? We can look at what he does and what he says and what he preaches, and that gives us an indication. And if it goes contrary to what we know God says, of course, we're going to say, yeah, you know, he has the right to do that, but I don't want any part of it. But it's up to God to decide, and he will. Our job is to pursue the principles he says are important. It's not the activities that people do, and that's important to know. It's the heart behind the person involved in the activities because it's the heart that makes a life of various activities meaningful or not, okay? And it's really interesting that Abraham, the father of the faith, was richly blessed and that made his life full. He had gold and silver and flocks abundantly. He was the father of the material nation of people of faith. But what made his actual life meaningful 
was his consummate heartfelt dedication to the will of God. You see? So we just don't look at people who have full lives and say they're evil because that's not up to us. But what we do say is whatever level of life I am living, my heart is dedicated to God's will and purposes. If I'm blessed abundantly, I use that the way I see fit. If I'm not, I live life as I see fit, meaning meaningfully rather than just full. It's interesting that in the story, Jesus tells Lazarus the beggar he went to Abraham's bosom or paradise and that Abraham was as rich at least to let you know as the man who went to Sheol. So don't become dogmatic in this. Do not let dogma blind you and make you prejudice and bias toward things. Abraham's bosom, Abraham was richer than this rich man. Okay? What's the lesson? Was Jesus speaking against riches in and of themselves only in what they can do if the heart is not right? If the heart is not right. And we have to assume that that is the reason the rich man went to Sheol and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Okay? We have to assume that. Because if, if that's not the case, then this would be an imprecation against having any material wealth. But that would be a contradiction against Abraham having material wealth and Joseph of Arimathea having material wealth and other people in Scripture having it and being people of God. So we have to take all of it to try to assess what is actually happened. What they look to, the rich man and Lazarus, what they trusted in, where their heart was, was, was what determined where they went. And you have to read that into the story. I'm certain that Jesus could have told the very same story, the very same one, and reverse the roles. Think about it. There was a beggar covered in sores, licked by the wounds of the dog, and yet in parentheses, but he didn't give a crap about God. And there was a rich man who lived sumptuously every day <clears throat> whose heart was devoted to God. And they both died, and the rich man went to paradise, Abraham's bosom, if this was the case. And then the, the poor man went. I am certain that could be the case. Biblical literalism will cause you to dogmatically assign this. But the Spirit tells us it, uh, that in context of the rest of the Scripture, what is the reason that Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom and what would be the reason the rich man went to Sheol? And it's from the heart. A meaningful life, meaning a life which bears weight on the eternal destination of the soul, truly defined, must include how we lived the lives we have been given, meaning from what mind, what heart, what perspective, and what focus. Contextually speaking, we must round the story out in the culture of the Jews of that day too, as I wrap this up. 
And we must also include for the rest of scripture to hold water that the rich man had to have placed his treasures on earth while Lazarus placed his treasures in heaven and suffered as a result. The tale cannot be told without these assertions included because only the faithful go to paradise and only the faithless go to Sheol. The point, lay up treasures in heaven from the heart. Make that the priority, the ambition. By living according to heavenly biblical principles which are established in the heart and mind through faith and love. In my estimation, that's the best definition of uh, a meaning, truly meaningful life. Our lives may be respectively full or empty in the end, but it's what you chose as the mindset you're going to operate by that will matter, not the other things. Love you.